Welcome to episode 85 of the Ski Podcast and thanks for joining us. This episode is a resort special. We're going to be looking at Crom Montana, Courcheval, Lehman Weir. We're going to be asking Al for advice on how to choose your higher skis and we're going to hear a snippet of my interview with some more Olympians. There is a little bit of other news we'll cover but we'll move on to that shortly. I'd like to thank Switzerland Tourism for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, Firstly, I'd like to congratulate Switzerland for having the best railways in the world. This is something I blogged about for Ski Flight Free. It was uh, effectively decided by a, a new company called Midnight Trains, which is very exciting. They're going to be running trains, night trains all over Europe. But they selected Switzerland for the best railway network. For those of you who are who are Wham or George Michael fans, when you do go out to the Alps next, I notice that there is now a Wham walk. For those of you who don't know, the video for last Christmas was filmed in Sasfe, and an activity you can do when you're out in Sasfe is go on a little guided tour of all of the uh, locations for the shoot. Get that on the list for the next time you're in Switzerland. Right, my name's Ian Martin. I'd like to introduce my guest today. I'm delighted to be joined by freelance journalist Katie Dartford. Hi, Katie. How are you? Morning. Yeah, all good. Excellent. And host of the YouTube channel 150 Days of Winter, Alex Irwin. Hi, Alex. Hi, Ian. Uh, we also have our regulars, Katie Crow from Battleface Travel Insurance. Hi, Katie. Morning, Ian. And our equipment expert, Al Morgan from SkiKitInfo.com. Hi, Al. Hi, Ian. Right, let's start by finding out when you skied or snowboarded last. I know that there are going to be some new answers, some more encouraging ones. Um, let's start with you, uh, Katie. Yeah, I got back from Crown Montana on the Monday, skied on Monday and then got back to the UK. So yeah, not even a week ago. Wow, that's good. Well, we're going to be talking about Cromontana in more detail. So we'll go on to that. What about you, Alex? I know you're in Courchevel, so I'm imagining you skied fairly recently. When was it? If I wasn't here, I would be outside at the moment. So yesterday was when I last skied. Not bad. And and spoiler, um, Alex and I actually skied together uh, earlier this week, which was great fun. It, It was just like old times. Um, Al, I know that you were due to go out to the French Alps uh, later this week or uh, next weekend uh, for Christmas. I am obviously incredibly disappointed for you and for everyone else because yesterday uh, France introduced a, a travel ban for people from the UK. So this is the elephant in the room. They've done it actually before we started recording our podcast. And more recently, we've been dealing with these things uh, on the fly. Um, Katie, let's uh, have a look at the Battleface travel update. Do you want to explain to us what the situation is with that French ban? Yeah, yesterday France uh, tightened its COVID restrictions for travellers arriving from the UK in response to rising case numbers. So from Saturday, all those wishing to travel from the UK to France, regardless of their vaccination status, need to meet criteria now defined by the French authorities that the travel is essential. So that's a massive hammer blow to those who are, have got ski holidays booked over the Christmas period. Um, they're saying that British holidaymakers already in France can continue their holiday as planned and don't re- need to return to the UK early. So there's, I think there's a bit of a mad rush today and tomorrow before the new restrictions come into place. Yeah, we're recording this on Friday the 17th of December and those rules don't come in, I think, until 11pm GMT uh, tonight. Uh, And that means that a lot of people are trying to go out and I've seen that prices for uh, flights and for the Eurostar have gone up uh, uh, massively. I imagine it's the same situation on Eurotunnel. Al, did you tell me in the green room earlier that you have some friends who are uh, heading out and they brought their holiday forward? 
Yeah, so they were supposed to travel out on Saturday and then they managed to get everything moved to fly last night, so Thursday night, and just had a mad scramble to get all their testing done before they went, yeah. Best of luck to anyone who's managed to get out there. Otherwise, absolutely terrible news for the industry as a whole. We know that 40% of British skiers uh, go to France, so it's a, a huge chunk of the uh, of the industry. There's no date in mind for when it might finish. All we can do, I think, is try and keep our fingers crossed and and try and be uh, optimistic of the um, the idea that you know Omicron is everywhere. It's not just in the UK, and caseloads are going up uh, everywhere. And perhaps a better approach would be to have uh, more rigorous testing. I mean, no, they brought forward. You mentioned uh, Katie the window for testing going into France. If you do uh, fall under the conditions to be able to go there, was forty eight hours, and they brought it down to twenty four hours. But I think people would rather pay more for a PCR test and still be able to travel. It seems a bit ridiculous that you could be uh, someone who's triple vaccinated, you know, with a booster and have a negative test and still not be able to go into France. That seems uh, disproportionate to me. But that is a situation as it stands. There is some positive news, though, for skiers. Katie, what's the situation in Austria just now? Yeah, it's great because Austrian ski areas have now reopened all restaurants and hotels, um, which happened last weekend after the 20-day lockdown. So they've successfully cut the number of infections uh, dramatically. And that's, this is great news for Austria. Sorry, I just want to clarify, pointed out to me by uh, Andy Rose, it wasn't actually a travel ban into Austria. It's just that when you went there, you wouldn't be able to you know, go out uh, skiing. But they're out of lockdown now. Ski resorts are open. It is, an issue. it is open. There's also an issue with double vaccination and being able to get health passes in Europe for the 12 to 15 year olds. I think there's also some positive news in that respect, Katie. That's right. Yeah. The government has announced that fully vaccinated 12 to 15 year olds are now able to access the NHS COVID pass for international travel. However, children remain exempt from certification in domestic settings and at the UK border. So this is really good news that um, that the, the, these teenagers are now going to be able to get their COVID pass, um, which is pretty essential for travel these days. Um, the government has also confirmed that children between ages 12 and 15 are able to book their second COVID uh, vaccination from this Monday. Yeah, so I think, um, Katie, you have children aged between 12 and 15, don't you? We're in the same boat in that respect. And our children have had their first vaccination. I was busy counting down the 12 weeks until when they can get their next one. And it's going to come in too late for us to be able to, uh, well, for Italy in half term. But by the end of the year and Easter, they should be double vaccinated. They should be able to get a pass sanitaire. And we, the issue, this whole issue that's been discussed as to do children have to get daily tests uh, to be able to go on the ski lifts will be, um, you know, hopefully irrelevant by then. On that point, so I've just been out in France uh, this week and, you know, the pass sanitaire, the health pass in France is required to go on lifts. Now, I skied, you know, a reasonable amount. I was checked twice uh, during the course of uh, my trip. You don't have to have a pass sanitaire to buy a lift pass. So you certainly didn't in Lehman Weir. They said to me that, um, you know, they don't have the right to check people's health pass, but they do on the lifts. Uh, I did see one family and I thought their kids look like they're probably between 12 and 15. I'll ask them. And I said to them, they're British family. Oh, are you doing like testing every day? And they said to me, well, no, we're just getting on with it and going skiing. 
Now, if your kids aren't in ski school where your health pass gets checked every day, then notionally it is possible. Technically, if you got caught, your lift pass would be confiscated. But that's what they had decided to do. And given they had five kids, I'm not quite sure how many were between 12 and 15. Um, evidently, it would be expensive. But um, hopefully, that will all be negated. And as it stands at the moment, you can't ski uh, in France uh, anyway. So... What do you think, Katie? Do you have an opinion on how things are going to go from here? Do you think other countries will follow France? Or do you think that French ban will be uh, short-lived? Oh, that's, it's very difficult to say. <laughs> it's, it's a moving, um, you know, it's a moving feat. And um, I'd recommend that everybody does all their research and reads up. The Battle Phase Travel Hub is an excellent resource to have a look at travel restrictions and entry requirements. And I also recommend the Telegraph Ski Tracker because it gives you updates on the latest rules in ski resorts and travel advice prior to travel. So I just recommend that everyone just does their research and make sure they get the necessary travel insurance in place prior to their trip. You obviously work for Battleface uh, Travel Insurance, but uh, I'd recommend our listeners have a look at that. So as uh, Katie says, uh, you need to do your uh, due diligence, but as always, the rules are changing the whole time. So just give you the uh, latest uh, update. This is now as of the 20th of December. For entering to Switzerland, it's eased slightly. The PCR test on days four to seven is no longer required for fully vaccinated visitors. And the uh, PCR that was required uh, before entry has now been widened to a PCR test 72 hours beforehand or an antigen test 24 hours beforehand. And another bonus there is that our children under 16 just need to have a negative test to be able to ski. There's another daily testing that you're getting in France. And it is so uh, dynamic and changing the whole time, but certainly going into Austria now as of 20th of uh, December, if you haven't had your booster jab, then you need to have a PCR test uh, as well. What is really interesting is that over in Austria, they have made it easier for children in that 12 to 15 year old bracket to go skiing. They've introduced something called the Ninja Pass. And the Ninja Pass essentially negates the need for doing that testing every single day that you have in France. So I find this really interesting that both countries, Austria and Switzerland, seem to be looking to capitalise on this uh, political judgment in France that has obviously stopped British skiers going there and uh, making it a little bit easier for for British families but whichever uh, country you think about going to you really must check the uh, latest news in place at the time. Okay well there is skiing going on and we're going to be talking about it uh, uh, shortly. We've got a couple of snow reports this week. Firstly uh, Andy Butterworth our regular correspondent from St Anton uh, rejoicing in the end of a uh, lockdown and also from a listener Stephen Spears who is out in outdoors. And uh, good news is a couple of late uh, additions. We've got Simon Burgess, who's out in Switzerland. I mentioned he's got the magic pass. He reports from Lesa. And we also have another report from Austria. Hi, Ian. Hi, everyone. Um, Andy over in St Anton um, with the next or latest update. It's the 15th, Wednesday, the 15th of December. The resort's been open now officially. That's a big yeehaw. The resort's been open since Monday, Monday the 13th. Um, and so we're two days open. The lifts are running. Uh, the lifts are running pretty much on not far of full capacity, which is fantastic. Uh, the resort is surprisingly busy, w- way busier than I think any of us thought it would be like for the, for the very opening on the 13th. Uh, but it's a really good buzz around town, which is, which is lovely to have back. After pretty much um, 17, 18 months of, of no business and no buzz, it's great to have that buzz back in town. There's, a, there's quite a few Scandinavians around. There's quite a few guests around. There's lots of resort staff around. Um, everyone coming in to, uh, to, 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 to enjoy the, the, the pre-season snow, which is also 
pretty spectacular still. We had days and days and days on end of fantastic snowfall, um, set a great base um, and almost bottomless powder, uh, almost with no base at the, at the top of the mountain. So it was really good. So everyone who was here uh, when the lift were closed, there was heaps of touring going on and people getting in some fantastic face shots and powder runs. Um, in the last couple of days, it's warmed up a little bit. Uh, that's no bad thing necessarily at the start of the season because it means it, it packs the snow down, it firms that base up. Uh, and the long-term forecast is certainly going to be a, uh, a very white Christmas. Uh, not much snow forecast in the next couple of days. Not to worry because there is metres and metres of the white stuff at the top. But going into uh, uh, after the weekend, early next week, there should be uh, more snowfalls on the way, which will be ace. Um, lots of people asking about Apres Ski and is Apres Ski happening. Obviously, places like St Anton are pretty famous the world over for Apres Ski. Um, Apres Ski is allowed, just slightly different. Um, so the Crazy Kangaroo, the Moose Avert, the Hoistadl, the Road Alarm, all the places up on the mountain will be open, but they're going to be more restaurants than they are bars. Uh, so they can open, you have to book a table, uh, it's it's uh, waitress or waiter service only. Uh, there's no standing at the bar, there's no drinking at the bar, there's no dancing. Uh, music has to be kept below a certain volume, a certain level, so as not to encourage parties. Uh, and those are the regulations for Apreski as far as we know it. Uh, everyone is sort of hoping slash expecting that by uh, early, middle of January, once the new year is kind of out of the way, that the restrictions might be eased a little bit. And I know that everyone who uh, who runs an Apres ski bar is desperate for the business to return to normal. And pretty much every skier um, will be desperate to dance on the tables, have a good time and, and, and really cut loose. It's, uh, it's the least we deserve. So all in all, great news from St Anton, great news from Austria. The resort is open, everyone's smiling, everyone's happy. COVID seems pretty much under control, good regulations, safe regulations in place. Um, and Apres ski is starting, uh, just maybe a little bit different to how it used to be. Uh, very much looking forward to seeing anyone and everyone out on the slopes. Cheers. Hello, this is Stephen Spears reporting on the snow conditions in Arc du Huez in France. I'm uh, not a participant in the ski industry, just an average skier, although I am uh, the club secretary in the, the very historic Glencoe Ski Club. This week has been an excellent starter week for Abduez in, uh, in terms of snow conditions. I arrived on Sunday, uh, there was great snow cover. I skied on Monday and Tuesday in uh, bluebird conditions and it was really just gradations of what I'd call excellent snow. 5 out of 5 or 4.9 out of 5 at the top of La Serene where it was maybe a little bit thinner snow up there. Main runs are, are open here, tend to be those uh, closer to the resort. La Serene has been open a couple of times. Uh, it has been windy or blown a hooli, as we say in Scotland, uh, on a couple of occasions. Uh, Tuesday afternoon, uh, a bit overcast. Wednesday, uh, dumping snow all day. Uh, the forecast was 40 centimetres of snow. I reckon there's 50 to, uh, centimetres to potentially as much as one metre I've seen reported elsewhere. Uh, but it was a lot of fun uh, and Thursday was just off the charts once the visibility improved about 11 o'clock in the morning. Uh, the quality of the snow skiing down La Signal, the signal piste, uh, which had been pisted overnight but with about 20 centimetres of fresh snow on it, was just great, the, the, the snow flaring up around your knees and so on. Uh, excellent day of skiing. Uh, so that's it from me from uh, Abduez. Hi Ian, Simon here reporting from the first stop on my Magic Pass road trip, Les Sin. 
Laysen has been baked in sunshine today, offering up some early season spring-like conditions. The resort is working hard to open the terrain park, with one line of jumps and rails already in place alongside the border cross track. The construction of a huge half pipe and the large jump line also look well underway. All in all, a beautiful day here in Laysen and perfect for taking the panoramic views coupled with a gorgeous inversion from the revolving restaurant at the top of the gondola. If people want to follow my road trip, they can head over to simonjackburgess.com or my YouTube channel with the same name. Hi Ian, it's Elena from the 2L Choice Board. So I'm really happy to give you a current update from 2L. So in general, the situation here in 2L is quite stable. The seven day incidence has decreased during the lockdown. Um, yeah, so the gastronomy, the hotelry shops and other leisure facilities as well have reopened uh, for recovered and vaccinated people here in Tuol. Our local businesses are well prepared. Uh, safety is our top priority. So yes, that is why we have still safety regulations in place. So a health pass is a requirement to use the ski lifts and the people also need to wear an FFP2 mask. So there are also needed at the lifts and in crews, um, but not out on slopes while skiing. Uh, the snow conditions here in Austria, I mean, yes, especially in Jewel, are excellent for this time of the year. Also after a series of heavy falls in the recent weeks, <laughs> we had a lot of snow here in in. Uh, to also that why the snow conditions on the slopes in every ski yeah ski area um is is perfect. I also was at the Rosette in Seefeld ski area and the snow conditions were excellent. My colleague from the two world tourist board also was at Obergogel over the weekend and it was wonderful so yes we are really happy that we are having good snow conditions um a lot of safety regulations in place yeah so we are really looking forward that this situation will remain for the next few weeks and really looking forward to welcome our guests so uh katie other katie katie darford you mentioned you're out in crom montana and uh, yep. we didn't talk about your skiing just then but i've got a feeling that you're out there for some pretty incredible conditions is that right yeah i mean i knew uh, all over france and in switzerland that, that it'd been snowing a lot i wasn't quite sure how much because i hadn't seen it but yes it was um one of the best starts to the season for a very very long time on uh saturday so yeah whilst it wasn't blue skies on the saturday there's a lot of snow and then the, the sun came out on sunday um but obviously there wasn't so many people so you could really enjoy it and yeah it was like uh, you know on piste off piste it didn't really matter <laughs> it was the same they didn't bother pisting it I saw some great photos, I think, uh, uh, taken uh, by a mutual friend of ours, Rob, uh, view, and it looked like pretty deep powder there. Looked yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah, I'd say I was up to my thighs. I'm not very tall, but it was still up to my thighs. <laughs> uh, and what, uh, was there an issue with skis? I read uh, a piece you wrote for uh, Euronews. Uh, well, maybe it's just me, but I can't ever, ever seem to hire powder skis is that is that a thing I don't know uh, no matter how much you insist like I want this and I want this width <laughs> they won't do it 
And so, yeah, so I was skiing off piece and sort of like piece skis, which I managed, but you know. You know, it can be a bit deceiving that early season snow, certainly in the three valleys. Sadly, I missed that Sunday, which looked like the day for uh, skiing. But in the three valleys, there was coverage of peace. It was all cut up by the time I was there. But some of it, you know, wasn't particularly deep. And you can easily easily uh, hit your skis on a, on a hidden rock or something. What yeah. about the, the COVID protocols in Cromontana? Montana? What was the situation there, uh, Katie? They checked us when we went into, like, a mountain restaurant and things like that. Um, I wouldn't say it was as strict as France at all. We kind of tentatively wore our masks indoors, but it was kind of like inconsistent, I would say. You asked, maybe people aren't sure of the rules. I don't know. I mean, I think they're making more decisions today about that. So, um, yeah, but you certainly will need to show your past sanitaire or whatever it is that you have, um, generally speaking. Yeah, and and uh, as far as uh, lifts are concerned, it's obviously um, masks to be worn on all enclosed lifts, gondolas, yeah. etc. But uh, but not on chairlifts. Yeah, yeah. So wasn't all the time we had our mask pulled up hundred percent. Once or twice we were told off. Other times not. Well, I can tell you that in France, there were lots of signs uh, everywhere in Les Manuire and across the three valleys to wear your mask. And people were wearing their mask in the queues. And I actually saw one person uh, kind of told off for not wearing the right kind of uh, uh, mask. But one thing I would recommend to uh, listeners if you're going out this winter is I wore one of the kind of integral buff masks that uh, actually the uh, layman wear gave me and they're really good because you can just lift it up from your neck over your nose whenever you need to and you don't have to worry about things tucked behind your uh, ears and quite a lot of resorts have these available and have them on sale so i'd i definitely uh, recommend that um also when you're in uh Croix, katie you went along i think to one of my favorite places the alaya chalet <laughs> yes ah uh, you know it do you that doesn't surprise me oh yeah oh my god i was just like big kid <laughs> I was like if only I had one of these on my doorstep <laughs> and did you try anything out then because this is a place where they've got a kind of skateboarding yeah. and BMXing and trampolines and airbags trampolines so I tempted as I was to get on a skateboard I've had bad experiences of that <laughs> so I thought not right now and now I tried the trampoline but it wasn't just uh just on bouncing as normal like we put on like this foam thing that would make would be a bit like a snowboard I suppose but foam um and we bounced on that and then also some like small skis as well that were actually quite hard um so you could practice like certain tricks if you wanted to and then you could just jump off into a massive airbag so you could practice all that as well cool did you have a go at that jumping yeah I did (laughs) yeah I did I remember my school trampolining skills came back to me and I could do a few a few um pikes and that kind of thing. Oh, uh, yeah. Don't think pikes count in the world of freestyle. Any, no, any no, sevens no. or uh, misty flips or uh, anything yeah, no. else like that? Pike was about the extent of my... <laughs> I was going yeah. to try. Great, great, great fun. Yeah. I'm really keen to take my uh, kids there. I'm trying to work out if I, we can tack it onto the end of our trip uh, mm. in Easter and maybe go along to the Alaya Chalet and then the um, Alaya Bay, which is a surfing place that Jim yeah. uh, reported on a, a little while ago. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I think that would be tremendous uh, fun. Not too far away. The the Alaya Bay, the surfing place, is over in uh, Sion. But the Alaya Bay, it's, uh, the Alaya Chalet, the uh, skateboarding and the trampolining is in uh, Cron Montana. And it's a good option for a bad weather day, I think. Uh, did you see anything else that, you know, looked like would be good for, for kids or just to occupy people while you're in uh, uh, Cron? Yeah, at the moment, 
um, although it might have just wound up, is, is have a festival called the uh, Bella Lui. Um, it's about a sort of mountain fairy. So very much for kids. And they like, had a lantern trail. I think it was the golf course in um, Cran. Um, and there's like, like a treasure hunt and a light display and then a big wheel. And they also, more for adults, had like some really good chefs from Grand Montana doing like small portions of dishes where you could, and then you'd taste that with um, a wine that they selected to go with it. Uh, obviously local Swiss wine, which I love. <laughs> All outdoors, but they had nice nice little um, little outdoor fires and things. Cool. And had, yeah. you, had, you, had you skied in Cron Montana before? A couple of years ago, I did city ski. In that respect, I wouldn't really know the resort so well so what did what did you think of skiing overall because were you out there on your own exploring or did you have a guide with you yeah um we were kind of on our own for a couple of day or two and then we had um a guide to take us off piste not all the lifts were open i'd say about a third was open but even that there was plenty of off piece plenty of peace because there weren't so many people so many beautiful tree runs such a great event view i would really yeah definitely go back <laughs> Cool. Excellent. Well, thanks very much for that, Katie. Uh, I was there this time uh, last year, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes uh, as well. But this time this year, my first skiing for a year, uh, I was in Le Minuir earlier this week from, um, well, I arrived on Sunday evening, travelled out by uh, train and left yesterday, got back uh, yesterday uh, evening and uh, missed that beautiful powder day on Sunday. But skiing was exceptionally good. Uh, you know, on piece, the snow is the best they've had at the uh, early part of the season for uh, probably 10 years or so. I, I guess uh, the highlights, I checked out the new La Masse lift. You know, it's uh, I think it's the fastest lift in France. Certainly takes only uh, eight minutes now to get to the uh, top of La Masse, where it used to take 25 minutes uh, before. You know, there's a fantastic restaurant, De Mille uh, Wheatsort, at the top with incredible views. I've mentioned already the COVID uh, kind of protocols uh, in place, you know, some random uh, tests uh, to check your past sanitaire. But, you know, given that the situation was that you had to be double vaccinated to go into uh, France anyway on holiday, that would only affect uh, those who had children of a certain age. And now, sadly, that's all put aside. I mean, Les Minuire actually announced that they were going to set up their own bespoke testing clinic a new testing clinic in the Rebeti area of Lehmannwehr, specifically really for British people to be able to go and get uh, their children tested on a daily basis and be able to get uh, the past sanitaire. It remains to be seen exactly what will happen with that. However, the highlight of, uh, of my time there was I did some ski touring and I was really, really lucky to be able to go ski touring at night uh, with a guide called Clemel from the uh, ESF in Lehman Weir. And he took me up uh, to the uh, refuge uh, Lac de Loup. So let's have a little listen to that. Don't often go out skiing at this time of night, uh, but it's about 5.30. I'm with uh, Clemel, who's going to guide me up to the Lac de Loup uh, refuge. And I can see uh, Peace Bashers out there uh, flattening down the piece for tomorrow. There's obviously no one else out. But we're going to be doing about, I don't know, 300 or 400 metres vertical ascent and uh, make our way up to the refuge where I'm staying the night uh, as well. So, uh, OK, Clément, yeah. on y va. <laughs> right, that's about half an hour, 35 minutes of climbing so far. There is uh, like a nice easy trail over there, but Clément, why would we want to do that? We wouldn't want to do that when we could cut through fresh powder. So uh, this is much better. Very beautiful. Not seeing any animals yet, seeing some rabbit tracks, but I've got my eyes peeled. Uh, let me know behind us. VT up there. Uh, and uh, I don't know, an hour more to go.
half later and we're here uh, at the refuge uh, de Lac, uh, Lac de Lou. And uh, yeah, I think it was about 400 metres of uh, vertical. Clement's guided me uh, superbly, you know, walking through virgin powder on the way up. Some of it's pretty steep. Clement is very, very fit, <laughs> doing my best to kind of uh, keep up with him. But we're here and it's just so peaceful and we didn't even have our head torches on because uh, the light of the moon, which you probably can't see up there, is about two thirds uh, full. It's just so bright that we could see from that. Just amazing, really. Just a wonderful way to uh, spend uh, an hour and a half of an evening. Uh, and I just say the uh, refuge. I stayed there the night. Clermont went back down. Uh, it, it's very, very comfortable refuge. I've stayed in a few refuges before, which are uh, you know pretty rough and ready. And this is you know more like a hotel uh, or a, a pension. Recently uh, built uh, about four years ago, and I was the only person staying there, so I had very good uh, ratio of staff to uh, guests, two to one. Uh, and after I had my breakfast there uh, and then actually ski toured up uh, to La Masse uh, the following day, which was really great. I left quite early and I uh, watched the sunrise. Uh, really lucky to uh, to have that experience. One day while I was there, we skied over to uh, Courchevel and I was uh, lucky enough to uh, ski a few uh, runs with Alex while uh, we were over there, which was a real bonus because I hadn't seen Alex in, in person for a couple of years. Um, it's great to have you back on the show again, Alex. Thank you, Ian. I'm hoping that you're going to be able to give us a bit of an update on Courcheval. Let's start off with the uh, the other elephant in the room, the uh, cable car, the Salir cable car. Can you explain to us what has happened uh, with that and what the uh, the status is? Well, at the end of the winter and at the end of the summer, Courcheval or S3V, who look after all the lifts, carry out a stress test on the major bubbles and cable cars. And unfortunately, while stress testing the Solia, they broke it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I saw a photo. I think what they do is they run it at faster than average speed. They, they run it at 100% and they, I think they fill it with sandbags to do the weight. And right. I think that they, they wait for the emergency brake to cut in. And I don't think the emergency brake cut in. And, and, and basically it, got, it, it hit the end. And got stuck kind of at 45 degrees or something, right? The, the one at the top was yeah. at 45 degrees. The one at the bottom just went into the concrete. That is a, a big bill. Uh, Mr. Pomo is rubbing his hands because that, <laughs> that, that was installed just before the Winter Olympics in 92 out of the Olympics. So maybe the year before it was installed. But I think because they've damaged like the concrete on the lower one, it's not just a matter of putting in a new bubble. They actually removed the bubbles at the end of October. They got a crane they, they, in The there. cable cars themselves. They, they, they lifted the cable off. cars off. Yeah. Which right. uh, trying to get a large crane up to the top of Salia yeah. is quite a feat in itself, but they managed to. And, okay. Uh, so that's and, not going to operate at all this winter? Not at all, no. So does that put, so, you know, from my recollection of the different lifts, you catch, so if you wanted to try and get up to, uh, let's say, Salia and connect over to Mirabel, you've got to take Verdon and then Vizel, or maybe there's some other ways to take Vizel, like, Suisse, uh, Marmots, uh, yeah. things like that. But, but to go like... from 1850 then, do you think it's going to put a lot more pressure on the Verdon lift? Uh, no, the Verdon lift is very busy because there's like a green run uh, underneath the Verdon lift. It gets a lot of traffic anyway. The one thing that there will be a problem with is the uh, couloirs that are underneath the Solaire are only accessible now if you go down to the Folly Deuce and take the Mirabel lift back up. 
otherwise you have to like hike all the way up the piece to get to them. And yeah, but that's that's not good. such a, a, a long uh, hike, it's, is it? Surely, surely, if you're good enough to ski down the Kulwars, you should be able to kind of uh, hike up from Vizel to uh, the top of Salir. I don't think you've seen some of the people who ski the Kulwars, <laughs> uh, whether they are good or not. Um, they find out halfway down that all of a sudden they're out of their depth. Uh, this isn't fun anymore. Uh, I did a video actually on it. Graham Bell showed how to do it perfectly, and there were some other people who were not quite doing it so didn't well. Didn't we have, um, didn't I see a, a viral video of Condi Tovex doing it last year at 100 miles an hour or whatever speed he was going? That's the problem, that people watch Candy's videos and they go, oh, that looks easy. He makes it look so easy. Oh, I'm just going to backflip off this rock and, <laughs> and like this. And you realise that actually the slope is like that and he's bonkers, basically. Yeah, I mean, I watched that video and like when he comes down onto the piece, the Coon de Salia, I was trying to assess whether those people were like real skiers or who were suddenly surprised by this guy going really, really fast or whether they were stooges who were no, paid no, no. to pretend to look surprised when he came fast. Now, uh, you've got a big World Cup race coming up uh, uh, shortly in Courchevel. When is that going on? Uh, on the 20th and the 21st. We've got the women's uh, giant slalom, which is uh, the highlight of Courchevel's season. They have been frantically icing the course. And also uh, the Ineos clubhouse at the bottom of the slope has just been open. And again, they're getting that ready to host the VIPs. We saw that when we were in Courchevel. I mean, it is amazingly impressive. You know, Ineos, company owned by, I think, Britain's richest man, uh, Jim Ratcliffe. He basically funded that clubhouse. I wrote an article about it a couple of years ago. It's something like 20 million euros that he donated to the Club de Sport. His daughter races there. You know, he already owns a chalet and hotel in Courchevel. It's, you know, loose change to him, right? Yeah, exactly. I think he found it down the back of the sofa. Um, <laughs> the, the 20 million also included a reprofiling of the slope as well. And they moved the finish line about 50 metres further down the slope as well. OK, and and also they've got loads of floodlights that they've put in because one of the, one of the women's races is at night that's going on uh, next week. Yeah, it's all floodlit. When they're testing them at night, it, it illuminates the entire side of the mountain and it's quite something to look at. Okay, and uh, you mentioned uh, uh, the this is the World Cup, the World Championships you mentioned coming up as well. I saw some signs for the Eclipse, which will be the men's downhill run. Looks like they're uh, encouraging people to try it out for themselves. Do you think uh, that will is a, is a wise idea? I, I think so. It's rather like the um, FAS over in Val d'Isère. This is going to be a slope where you can, in theory, ski where the professionals ski down, maybe not with the same speed, or the same grace, but it's an amazing slope. I half skied it last year on touring skis. I don't think I did it justice, but it was it's got some amazing undulations and and aspect changes, which uh, if you did go full on, makes it very challenging. Yeah, my understanding is it's going to be a really visual. There are going to be a few points on the course where the skiers are going to fly through the air for up to 50 metres or something like that. The World Cup finals are going to be in Meribel and Courcheval in March, and they're going to hold both the men and women's downhill on that uh, on that Eclipse course. So we'll be able to see it in action then uh, prior to the World Championships. I've got one other question about changes in Courcheval. Some people 
think Latania is a separate resort. Uh, the three valleys tend to categorise Latania as being part of Courchevel. They've got a new beginners uh, area down there. Uh, I noticed it when I skied past, had a little uh, look. Do you, have you have you seen that at all, Alex? Uh, I've only seen some of the snow reports from uh, Latania about it. So, uh, uh, but it looks amazing the the amount of work that they've done that done that done down there to to for the beginner slope. Yeah, and well, in fact, we'll come back to that uh, Latania beginners uh, area a bit later on. Well, that's brilliant, Alex. Thanks very much for that. Uh, let's move on to our regular chat with uh, Al from Ski Kit Info. Uh, we're now going to call this the Intersport Equipment Update. We're going to talk a little bit about ski hire today. Uh, I think the fact is that uh, most skiers don't own their own skis. Uh, much to Al's frustration, he'd like everyone to uh, to buy skis. But I hired from Intersport in Lehman Weir. It worked really well for me. Uh, you know, I had uh, I had uh, all mountain skis, peace skis uh, for the uh, first couple of days, and I changed to touring skis, and they just swapped them around. I actually used my own boots on the all mountain skis, and then they gave me ski touring boots. So it was very flexible. You know, I'm learning from you, Al, about skis, but I still don't know so much uh, about them. I-, I thought it might be helpful if you could perhaps give uh, us, the listeners, some tips on how you should select your skis or boots from a hire shop you know what should you be watching out for what should you be looking out for i'm just really pleased that you're learning something from me at least i've got a purpose here that's fantastic so i think i think you're a really interesting example and and, and pretty indicative of a lot of skis you own your own boots you appreciate the benefit of having your own boots and the and, and how that can enhance your skiing and yes i would argue you know what if you own your own skis you can learn how to use that and you're not learning a new ski every time But for most people, or a significant proportion from the UK, certainly, ski hire works well. They don't have to worry about carrying loads of kit when they go with their their kids. And it means they've got the ability to change when they're there. So as you rightly ask, what kind of kit do you select? The first thing, be super honest with yourself about your skiing. It's really easy to go, right, okay, well, I'm going to get the highest standard because I'm going to get the newest ski. But actually look at it, you know, if, if that's a, a red or black run ski, as because they're often graded on the colour of the run, do you really ski that way? Because if you get a ski that's too stiff and too performance oriented, that's actually going to hinder your development. The other beautiful thing about hire is you can select something on your ability. And if that ability changes through the week or the conditions change, you can then change to a different ski. So select the kind of ski that's going to best suit your skiing. And most people will go for an all-mountain ski. And actually, many, many people will benefit from going for a piste ski because yep. they spend most of their time on firm snow. And, you know, Kate was saying how she skied powder on a piste ski. And, and absolutely, you can still you can still do that. Not a problem. But on those deep powder days, then if they have them in the shop, you can swap up to something a bit wider. Intersport let you swap around quite a lot. I wonder if you're going to say anything about this. You know, when you when you hire skis from a hire shop, one of the things they always ask you is your you know your weight and your height because they want to set the din settings. I would make sure encourage people never to lie about your uh, uh, weight and maybe even your height for that matter because it does make a difference, doesn't it? Yeah. So to calculate the din setting, you need your age, mainly are you over fifty or not. Uh, your height and your weight and then they measure this boot sole length so if you have your own boots they'll measure that or they'll know it for their for their own it tells them tells you on the side of a boot anyway Um, and that affects how the binding is going to release safely higher shops have got much better at setting this 
but often they may not have scales in the shop or a way of measuring. So make sure that you go and you know those bits of information so that you can give them. Often they'll be asked for in centimeters and kilos, whereas we might work in feet and inches or, or, or stone and pounds, you know. So it's worth knowing it in metric. Yeah, and I gave him the, the data and he just plugged it into uh, the, the screen there and it, it outputted, I think it was a DIN setting of six. Now, for me, I would consider that to be relatively low. And I think it's because I was over 50, you know, because normally I would have my skis cranked up a little bit uh, more than that because, you know, I can I can go at a reasonable speed. I want to make sure they stay on my uh, feet. Yeah. But I think you have to be very wary about kind of overruling the shop, let's say. Yeah, it takes a lot of experience of your own settings to know how to uh, set it and, uh, and adapt it. It's not just the DIN. There's other springs in there that control. There's something called forward pressure, and the shop will set all of that. So if you start messing around with the binding, it may become a lot less safe. It might actually, even though you think it's becoming more tight, if you start moving things around, it might actually come off more easily. Let the experts do it. Aside from kind of ski hire itself, I'm interested to know what you think. Uh, the all-mountain ski that uh, I took, I was very lucky, I think. Uh, I think I had uh, this season's uh, Atomic Maverick, and I really, really, I mean, I, I, I loved skiing, but I really enjoyed that ski. You know, I, yeah. could, I didn't swap around and try lots of them. I wondered what you thought about that. Can I ask, what, do you know which one it was? Uh, no. What colour what color was it? It was black. Right. Okay. So it was probably the hundred Ti, which is, which is which is relatively fast. That's a new range. I've skied a lot of the Mavericks and the ladies, the Mavens, and they're really different to their old vantages. I've been super impressed with them. Yeah, that's really interesting. You skied it and you loved it. That's fantastic. On the second day, I was with a, a guide, uh, Teo, and we got to uh, ski over to to Courchevel where we met up with Alex. And uh, you know, the piece were empty. I mean, coming down Coombe de Salier, there was hardly anyone. There were certain pieces that we came down there where there was no one else. And we really just kind of, you know, opened up and uh, you know, it was great for uh, going fast on kind of, uh, you know, big, biggish uh, uh, turns and felt very stable uh, underfoot. In that, there's two that do 100 width and an 88 width, which has metal in it, which are both quite dark graphics. So you might have been on the 88 and again, still floats really well. Superb on firm snow, really surprisingly good on firm snow as well. Yeah, I took it onto the kind of off piece a little bit. As I said, it was all cut up. It was still pretty cold, the snow then. So it wasn't so bad and I, I enjoyed it. But there you go. I'm learning next time when I take a ski, I'll look, make sure I know whether it's the 100 Ti or the 80 Ti or or whatever it is. Uh, Katie, the main ask... thing is that it's fun. It was definitely fun. Katie, can I ask you a, a question then? You said yeah. you hired when you're in, in Cron Montana. Do you normally hire? Do you have your own skis as well? I normally take my own. A lot of the time I'm touring, so I've got quite specific equipment. But yeah, I normally take my own unless I know it's actually going to be piste skiing. I don't actually have any really good piste skis. That was a different. I did have really good piste skis when I was in Grand. Right. And you're telling us that your quiver is packed full of fat powder uh, skis and uh, all round <laughs> skis about. and yeah. twin tips and, uh, and touring uh, skis as well. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. And Alex, you obviously live in a resort. You don't have to cart them around though, with you. How many pairs of skis have you got in your in your quiver then? Uh, currently in my active quiver, I have a 10-year-old pair of uh, K2 uh, Seth Morrison skis. And also in a complete contrast to that, I have a pair of uh, movement uh, icky skis that are my touring skis. And they are about 
one hundredth of the weight of the K2 skis. Right. I think I remember that Seth Morrison one. Has it got very gnarly graphics on it? It's got very gnarly graphics, and it's also got a certain uh, so, uh, ski podcast sticker on it now. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Al, what do you think about that? You know, that's a classic ski, I imagine. Yeah, it's a classic. I remember my first time on a Seth Morrison, and I abs- it was amazing. When it, when I bought it, it was like the second widest ski that K2 did. And now it's like the thinnest ski that K2 does. I think that shows what everything is. Excellent. Well, that's really helpful, Al. Thanks very much for that again. Are you continuing to uh, add to my knowledge of uh, equipment? So I mentioned there that I hired from Intersport. Just pop along to uh, intersportrent.com. And uh, if you're worried about changes, they have a full cancellation policy in place. Cancel your booking up to the last minute and get all your money back using the refund now button. With Intersport's new option, you're in control. We'll just have a quick Beijing uh, update on progress. Um, Charlotte Banks, she came first in the uh, snowball cross in Montafon in Austria. Uh, That is her second win now, I think. So she is looking very uh, strong uh, for a podium position come uh, Beijing, which is uh, in about two months time now. So moving on very quickly. Katie Ormerod, she's coming back after quite a long break from injury. She was fifth in the big air in Steamboat. She has a lot of podiums under her belt and hopefully that progress will continue. And very exciting news from last weekend, Dave Riding took fifth in the slalom at Val d'Azur and I mentioned before that he'd done a couple of Europa Cup races which is you know below uh, his uh, level which he'd won but clearly that kind of a training has worked really well for him and to come in with a fifth in a World Cup race is a really tremendous uh, result and very very exciting for him in terms of prospects for the uh, rest of the season and for the Olympics. And finally, Zoe Atkin, who I interviewed not so long ago. I'll put a link in the show notes. Interviewed her and her sister Izzy. She came eighth in the half pipe at Copper Mountain. So again, some good early form uh, there, and you know, and competitions going on the whole time. So we'll do our best to uh, to keep you updated. And I'm trying to get more interviews with some of the athletes uh, before we go. But I have got an interview with two Olympians. Regular uh, listeners and subscribers will already know this. Maybe you've even heard the interview because I released it as a uh, a podcast special uh, last week. Uh, This was with Andrew Musgrave and Andrew Young. And they are cross-country skiers for Team GB. They've already been to three Olympics. This will be their fourth Olympics. And long-time listeners will know I've got a lot of admiration for these guys in in terms of endurance training, combining everything. So I recommend you have a listen to uh, the actual full podcast. Uh, But here's a little snippet. This is pretty good because I watched like a trailer for a a TV program that Norwegian TV are doing about the British uh, underdogs which is featuring you, is that right? In the, in, it's coming out soon, or um, yeah, it's going to be about. It's basically um, NRK are going to. Uh, I've been following the team, um, the whole British uh, British team through the off season, and they're following us through all the World Cups. I'm going to make a, a, a documentary. I, I'm not entirely sure how many episodes it's going to be. Um, from what I've heard, it's between four and six episodes of twenty minutes. Um, and yeah, it should be coming out. The first episode should be before Christmas, uh, from what I've heard. So that's, um, quite, that's exciting. quite exciting. Yeah, because I mean, in Norway, you know, we talk about Nordic uh, uh, sports anyway. And, uh, you know, cross country skiing and Nordic uh, skiing was in the Olympics a long time before uh, Alpine skiing. So I think it has a higher profile in Norway. Um, when will you get over to, uh, to Beijing, um, Youngie? 
that's a good question. Um, I'm not sure uh, we know 100% on on um, on uh, when we'd be able to go because there's a lot of travel restrictions and stuff in China at the moment. And I think uh, the last I heard was that there was some, um, you know, that's one of the things that the team are working on is is uh, the travel and. Um, the other unique thing is the cross-country events are right on the altitude limit for what cross-country skiing is allowed. So it's right at 1,800 meters. So we've obviously got to be at altitude before we go. So there's a lot of things that have to fit in for the travel to Beijing. Okay, that's really interesting because I was going to ask you about the venue. I've talked to you know different athletes and in fact I shared a, a photo on Twitter earlier today of the big air. Uh, and, you know, that's obviously very urban setting. It, it, other athletes are expecting, you know, artificial snow, which is going to make it a lot harder. So you're telling me that that's going to be around 1800 meters. And there's two things there that uh, make me think straight away. Firstly, you might actually have real snow rather than artificial snow to be competing on. And secondly, there's a there's a, a rule that says that um, cross-country skiing has to be below a certain altitude. Is that right? Yeah, so the highest altitude we can compete at is 1800. The fifth have turned a blind eye in the past. For example, we raced in the Engadine Valley last year uh, because they couldn't get another venue that was willing to willing to host the World Cup. As a gen, they tried to keep the competitions below 1800 meters, yeah. Okay, and so therefore, um, Muzzy, you are going to try and adapt your training to get altitude in before you head out to Beijing? Yeah, so we we're used to competing at altitude though, so we it's going to be a fairly standard pre championships training block for us. Um, but it's like Young, you said the difficulty at the moment is we know exactly when we want to travel and we'd plan to travel out, but uh, flights into China are restricted, so we might not be able to travel on the days we were originally planning. Um, so that is the ma- the main issue for us at the moment. We're hoping that's all going to get sorted out and we're yeah logistical challenges yeah uh, the one side of it what about the uh, snow type uh muzzy i take it it's going to be real snow that's going to affect your decisions in relation to wax which must be really important well we're where the cross-country venue is is in the middle of a desert so <laughs> it's 1800 <laughs> meters and it's cold but right. uh there's not going to be much natural snow that will definitely affect the choice of skis and how the waxing is done. But luckily, me and Youngate have a waxer that's going to be sorting out our skis because we're absolutely useless at doing that ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> so if, you, right. if you ask us any, anything about waxing or skis, then we, we will uh, have completely inconstructive answers. Yeah, I read in another interview on the Snowsport GB website that you listen to lots of podcasts uh, while you're doing your uh, endurance training. Is the ski podcast on your list? And if it's not, are you going to be adding it? Oh, it's definitely going to be on my list as of now. <laughs> apart from not, apart from I will not be listening to this episode because I can't stand the sound of my own voice. <laughs> so uh, hopefully you enjoyed that and I highly recommend you listen to the uh, podcast special, uh, the whole episode there. I'd also just like to uh, add this bit in. Uh, Andrew Young and uh, the other member of the cross-country team, James uh, Clugnat, brought home a best ever British result, which was sixth in the uh, cross-country team event in Dresden. So uh, congratulations, guys, and best of luck for the Olympics. Right, I think that's about the fifth, maybe sixth podcast in a row. We've had some Olympians on, so I'll try and keep that going in the lead up to Beijing. 
We've got a few uh, reviews here. Really, so many since our last episode. Uh, thank you very much. If you don't hear your name mentioned, it means I've had to hold you back until uh, the next episode, 86. But uh, Rob Ski One on Twitter said, my number one podcast of 2021. Uh, thank you for keeping me company on Spotify all year long. And in fact, I think that's the, the kind of Spotify uh, update that everybody gets at the end of the year. Uh, and our stats have gone up massively. I think we're up uh, 74% in terms of uh, listeners over the year. So thanks very much if you're listening to us on Spotify. Pierre-Henri said, uh, again, a great podcast. Uh, Dave Moore said, uh, uh, he was talking about the uh, Andrew Young and Musgrave interview. Good fun and rapport. Uh, Sam Woodhouse on Facebook said, I'm enjoying the podcast very much. Tom Hunter said, great content. Uh, he asked uh, for more info about whether the bars on the slopes are operating normally. Well, they certainly were in, in France, even though nightclubs are closed, but the uh, Folly Deuce was open and there was a queue of people showing their past sanitaire to uh, to get in. Uh, Andy in the St. Anton update mentioned that uh, as well. And also like to thank uh, uh, Tom for uh, buying me a coffee or a cup of tea. Gareth Harvey also bought me a coffee. Uh, thank you very much, Gareth. He said, I've loved listening to the podcast for a number of years. Thank you for uh, the podcast and bringing the magic pass to my attention. Uh, although I'm based in the UK, I have lots of meetings in Geneva. And for some reason, these often turn into long weekends. So buying the magic pass has caused me to explore a lot of the smaller resorts I'd never have considered. Uh, you wouldn't visit them uh, for a week's holiday, but for a long weekend or even just a Saturday, it's great. And that magic pass is something you can buy to access a whole bunch of different resorts in the uh, Valais in Switzerland. And at this point, I'll just mention Simon Burgess, who's been on the show before when he skied in the Lake District at Rays. I know he's going to be going out to uh, Switzerland to use the Magic Pass for a lot of uh, December and January. So I'm hoping to get a few uh, reports back from him. One more from Facebook. Andy Dalton said, I love your podcast. Uh, I not long ago found it. I'm trying to get through them all, but not listening to them in order was probably a mistake. I always find a little gold nugget of information. Keep up the uh, uh, great work. And uh, you're not alone, uh, Andy, because in the last week I had a quick look earlier and 101 of our 129 podcasts were listened to in the last week. Now I've got one more from Ruslan. He bought me 25 coffees. Uh, I'd be I'd be I'd be wired if I had um, all of them at the same time. That's very generous of you, uh, Rosalind. Thank you very much. He says, uh, my name's Rosalind. I'm born in Latvia, but living in the UK. I've been an avid listener of the ski podcast for about two years since I first discovered it. I love the updates from resorts and it was awesome to get info on mountain biking in summer as well. He's asked me to do a shout out for Valeria Slovia. I probably pronounced that really badly. Um, apologies for that. Uh, but uh, hi, Valeria. But he also asked which resorts have free lifts for learners. Now, I recommended uh, Les Saisie and Latania. We mentioned that beginners area in Latania. They've got two magic carpets there. Les Saisie has got a magic carpet. Katie, I wondered if uh, you had any recommendations for beginners in the in the kind of Savoie area for ski resorts. There is actually a new beginner's area about to open in Saint-Gervais um, up the mountain. So you can get that up the mountain experience whilst being on a, um, a beginner's area. I, obviously, I haven't tried it because I don't think it's open yet because I think the lift's open on Saturday in Saint-Gervais. So maybe that would be a good one. Uh, Al, got any uh, thoughts for uh, beginners? Any tips uh, for uh, good resorts for beginners in, in Savoie? Yeah, I think, I think well, I think Teen's quite quite an obvious one, isn't it? And it's, it's great because it, irrespective of which base you're in at Teen, you can generally get on a free lift with a decent run for a beginner, which is fab. Um, Alex, you're probably biased towards Courcheval. Would you say the Belcott is the best place to learn to ski? 
it's an amazingly uh, wide and flat slope for beginners. So, yes. Thank you for that question, uh, Rizlan. Thank you for the coffees. Other uh, listeners, don't forget, you can always buy me a coffee, which will be converted into a tea at buymeacoffee.com, the ski podcast. Uh, I also enjoy all feedback about the show. So please do email me to theskipodcast at gmail.com. But for now, I'd like to thank Switzerland Tourism for sponsoring the show and thank my guest today, Katie. Thank you. Uh, the other Katie's already left. Al's disappeared from the screen. I think he's had some uh, ski boots delivered or something like that. And Alex in Courcheval. Hi. Bye. And finally, I'd like to thank you, listener, for sharing your time with us. Have a great Christmas and New Year. We'll be back with episode 86 in early January. Uh, hopefully, uh, we'll be skiing in France again by then. And there might be a bonus episode before then. But until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>